in these folks. For everybody else, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever had an experience like this just in your life or if you have something where, where it's like this, that you, you, you know something is good and you know something is positive, you know something, you know, maybe exciting news or something like that, but you aren't really sure what it all means, at, you know, at a bigger level. Like, meaning, so I grew up in a house where both my parents had medical backgrounds and most of like their family had like it was a family full of nurses like my my mom my dad's whole side was all nurses and so they would just talk in like medical code sometimes and so they you know they'd be like hey did you hear about you know diane you know and her white blood cell count and i'm just like i have no idea what they're talking about but i could tell by the tone of voice and i could tell by their reaction that like okay this is good you know hey this is exciting that you know such and such is happening so it seemed like it was good, but I'm not exactly sure what was so good about it. But, you know, the, sort of the folks that needed to know medically, they knew what was going on. And so that was, that was good enough for me. You know, this morning we are, we are continuing our, our short series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And in some ways we're going to turn a little bit of a corner this morning. So the first few weeks we've, we spent time talking more about the general work of the Spirit, what He does for every believer everywhere, that he is the manifest presence of God, that he's, he empowers, he, he's who reveals Christ to us, that he brings unity, that, that all spiritual activity that we, that we have is due to the Holy Spirit. And last week, we looked at how in, the, in giving God's generosity in giving us the Holy Spirit, that he is giving us the very best in the Holy Spirit, and, so, and he is so eager and generous to give him more of us Give, him more of, give us more of him in our lives and just his generosity and his disposition to be kind to his people and pour out his spirit and to give his spirit. But the next several messages, we're going to look more at not just the broad work, but some of the specifics as we think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Things like spiritual gifts and, uh, and specific spiritual gifts. Things like speaking in tongues and prophecy and, and those sorts of things. And this morning, we want to look at Ephesians, where Paul tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we hear the, the phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit, you might think that and hear, yes, amen, that's good. But I'm not exactly sure what that means. That it's this thing that's positive and Paul's telling us to do it. I know people who speak of it well, but I'm not exactly sure what that really looks like in my life. But just as I had this sense of, boy, as long as the people who were in charge of medical care knew what all these terms meant, it was okay, you know, that was fine with me. We just need to recognize this is critical to each of our spiritual health to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we just can't have this sense of, it's probably good, but probably for somebody else to know really what the specifics of what it means. But we want to look at and not just have a vague idea of something, but look at what is God calling me to what does it look like for me in my life to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And why is it so necessary? And why is it so good? So that's what we want to look at together this morning. Now, let me just say from the outset of this message, we, my goal, hopefully this is obvious, but my goal is to say primarily what would be most helpful. Um, I want to give depth to where I think Scripture emphasizes. I, I'm hoping we're more than just scratching the surface on this, but... I also just recognize we, we, we just can't plumb the depth of all that Scripture is saying in a message like this. We can't answer all the questions that can arise sort of out of a topic like this. Uh, and which I'll say, certainly, obviously, ask me, you know, let's have conversation, you know, where, where there's still lingering questions, where there's still thoughts and ideas. I'd just love to hear them. 
talk about these things in community groups and just with one another. Uh, but also, I wanted to mention, we're going to be taking time after our service on April 30th to, to, to talk more about this, to just kind of to do a Q&A, just kind of on the series, and just as we think about the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit, what, what questions are still out there? What passages would be helpful to, to take a little more in-depth look at and just understand, like, okay, why are we in this church, you know, in this position where other churches are here, and what passage would be helpful when we look at? Where would be helpful to be more practical in some areas? So, just to give more sort of unhurried time to address specific questions. So we're going to be taking time for that uh, on April 30th. But our goal in, sort of in this message, right, is not that this would be sort of the final word on the topic of being filled in the Holy Spirit, but this, this would just be a br- just another brick in what God is building here. If you're a guest with us this morning, it's a bit of an unusual message for us. Normally we go through Scripture just a book at a time and sort of just a passage by passage look. So we've been in the book of Luke and Normally, we would just, you know, take the next, next section in Luke. This is more of a topical approach than what we normally would do, but I think as we think about a subject like this, I think it's a, an appropriate way to cover it. So with that, uh, go ahead, and if you haven't already, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 18, and I'm going to ask if you're able, if you could stand as I read five verse, chapter 5, verse 18. I'm going to move around a little bit this morning, but this is going to be our anchor text and the one we're going to look at the most depth at this morning. So with that, Ephesians chapter 5, 18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, you may be seated. Just a couple of preliminary notes about this passage. This is in a, in a section in Ephesians where, where Paul is writing, and he's giving sort of, He's giving contrasts about the Christian life. So he's saying, here's what it looks like to be wise and not unwise. So there's sort of wisdom and foolishness. You know, and he has a section where he's like, okay, do not be foolish in how you live your life, but rather know and obey God's will, and here's how you do that. And so, and here he's saying, he's making this contrast of do not, do not get drunk or do not get full of wine, but rather be filled with something else, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is not some sort of universal imperative of not having any alcohol. That's, that's, you know, there's probably a few people that are kind of like, they've already got their verses ready. Hey, Jesus turned water into wine. I'm going to show you that. This is not, it's not that. In fact, I would say bo- the Bible positively speaks at times of responsible and just make sure legal alcoholic consumption, right? So, and so that's not the argument Paul's making. It's not really not the main point. It's not really about alcohol in, in this passage. He is making the point that drunkenness and too much, too much alcohol, well, when that happens, what, what, what happens? Well, alcohol affects your will and your affections and your decisions and your clarity and so on. And so when alcohol is the primary reason behind your actions, well, Paul says it not just could lead to bad things. He says that is debauchery. That's not just that it could lead to a crossing of a line, but you're already there. But his point is, Listen, don't let alcohol be the primary driver of what you do, but be filled with something else that should govern us. Be filled with something that should be the primary thing that that motivates you and leads you and directs you. So he contrasts that with don't be filled with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. And he says it in in what's called the present imperative. The part of speech would be the present imperative. And, And what that means is that this is an ongoing action. So the tense he writes this in is this is something we are 
called to, to regularly do, to consistently and, and almost constantly be doing. A more literal way to, 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 to translate this in English, and you're going to see why we don't say it like this, but would really be, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so he, he wants us to sort of think of this as, as an event, as a moment that we are to look towards, to, to be filled with the Spirit, but, but it's not a moment in isolation, but this lifestyle that we are to think, that as we look to what it thinks to mean to be filled with the Spirit, that, that it's just this action that we are to regularly pursue. I'm guessing at this point, someone would say, yep, that's okay, seems to be what the text says, and yep, yes, amen, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? And how do I do that? Like, aren't I already, if I'm a Christian, aren't I already filled with the Spirit? So what exactly is he telling us to do? So to look at this command more, I want to look at five questions that that I think flow from this command to, to look at what God is calling us to pursue. So question one is, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is baptism of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we're going to start with asking a question that's not actually in this text, but I think it's helpful to know what's the difference between baptism of the Holy Spirit and filling of the Holy Spirit because it certainly informs what Paul is calling us to do. In Luke 3, a passage we recently covered in our, in our series from Luke, we, we, we read how John, the section where right, John is baptizing people in the river, And John says that I baptize with water, but one is coming in Jesus who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, before Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then a chapter later in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens, right? And what happens at Pentecost? The Spirit comes and God's people are baptized in the Spirit and they speak in tongues and they preach with power and thousands of souls are converted and the church is born. Just to be very clear, last summer right, we, had a, we had a baptism service as a church and looking forward to having another baptism service as a church at, at some point this year. But what, what happened? Leo and I, we baptized with water, but we didn't baptize in the Spirit. Only, only God baptizes in the Spirit. But just to note, these, these aren't the only places we, we, we see the language of sort of baptism of the Spirit. So baptism of the, of, of the Holy Spirit is the initial manifestation of God's power and presence being received in a believer's life. So when, when one is baptized in the Spirit, it brings, new, it, it brings a longing for godliness. It brings, it, it, it brings power and purity. It, it, bring, it, it just cleanses. It brings new life. It just has this effect on the believer that is unmistakable, and it brings just, just newness of life and, and power and purity and cleansing, desired to live for God. Now, when does this happen? So in Christianity, there are two kind of, you know, I'll say major schools of thought as to when one is baptized in the Spirit. Let me say, I think there are people in both camp at this church, um, and I'm really happy about that, right? There, there's some things that to walk in unity, we, we need to agree on, right? Like, like we, need, we need to agree, is this, is this the authoritative word of God? We need to agree, did Jesus physically rise from the grave? We need to agree, did, is, is the Holy Spirit God himself? And, and, and on and on, right? We can think of the things that we have to be in agreement on to really walk in unity. 
can Christians walk in unity and love and help each other grow in godliness even if we uh, disagree on the exact timing of baptism of the Spirit? I would just say absolutely. And so not to say it's incidental, I think, I think it's important, but there's a difference between important and primary and important and necessary. So, so I think it's okay that we, we can have some disagreement on this. But, but one of the, the major views, and, and many people would believe, and this is probably the view called the charismatic position or the Pentecostal position, is that baptism of the Spirit occurs sometime, sometimes happens at conversion. So sometimes when a person is saved, they are baptized in the Spirit the moment one becomes a Christian. But, off, but for many people, it happens later. They become a Christian, and then later in, in their life, they receive a new power or awareness or manifestation of God's presence and power, and they're just renewed in their desire to live for God. And whether you would share sort of this timing definition or not, many of you, I'm sure, have, have your own experience of just what, okay, yeah, I was, I was a Christian, but, you know, in some ways I was kind of scuffling along or, or just I wasn't fully living for him in some way. And then just, wow, God just did something in my life in a new way, in an unmistakable way. I experienced his presence and his power. And to be clear, there, there's examples like that in the book of Acts. So, right, Pentecost would be an example, right? Peter was a disciple. He was following Jesus. And then the Spirit came and on Peter, and Peter was different. We see similar things happening in places like Acts 8 and Acts 19, where there were believers in Christ, and then the Spirit came on them, and it was different. They were baptized in the Spirit, and they had a second experience, and nothing was the same after that. And just to note, praise God whenever we see that, because in each of these examples, what happened? Holiness and the mission moving forward, souls being saved, gospel growth, the gospel going to places, first Jerusalem, and by the end of Acts to the, very, to the beginning of going to the very ends of the earth. So we see places in Acts. We see examples of folks who were already believers in Jesus, and they received the Holy Spirit after their salvation in a very distinct way. Now that said... I actually believe the weight of scriptural emphasis is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs not, not after, but when we are saved. That when you become a Christian, you, have, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, which is a text we're going to be spending more time on later in this series, says, For just as, one body, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized in the one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. I believe that this is explicitly stating that, that all Christians receive the same baptism, receive the same initiation through the spirit into the body of Christ. The moment you became a Christian, the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were this happened. You were baptized and sealed with the Spirit. And I believe what we actually see in, in these handful of examples in Acts is, is because, honestly, just Acts was written in this transition period from the Old Covenant to this, new, to this age of the New Covenant by the Spirit, sort of the age of the Spirit. And in this transition period in the book of Acts... That, that, that there was some case where, boy, it, it didn't happen in that order, but, but the normative experience now since this transition is that baptism of the Spirit occurs at conversion. 
I think it's what Corinthians indicates. I think it's consistent, too, with this idea that I just, nowhere does the New Testament divide people into into classes or groups as Christians, right? But rather, it just, the the overwhelming unity and the sameness of, of that all Christians, that we don't see this language of, in the New Testament, boy, there's Christians who are empowered by the Spirit and who are ungifted by the Spirit. That we have, that we have Christians who are sort of, that, that, that can live for Him and fight sin and, 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 sort of, and, and, take, and, and sort of grow the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And that there are those who are really expected to be stagnant until something happens to them. We, what, I, what we see is just that we don't see this, boy, they're, they're saints of God, chosen, beloved, and there's those who are... Sort of they'll get there someday, but they don't really have what is needed yet. They don't have what is necessary yet. The category I see in the New Testament is there are those who who have the Spirit of God in them because they have been born again by God, and there are those who desperately need the Spirit because they have not given their heart and lives to Jesus Christ. But I don't see this sort of this two-tiered system within those who are Christians. In fact, I actually see a lot of potential harm that would flow from sort of thinking of different classes within Christianity, but what I see is one spirit, one body, each, each person with differing levels of gifting and maturity. But I don't see sort of this, those who are Christians with all the blessings that flow from being adopted and in the spirit and those who God has left somewhat powerless and lacking and stagnant, not quite as powerful or not quite as sort of blessed by the Spirit. So just as baptism with water represents the beginning of the, you know, sort of indicative of the beginning of the Christian life, baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at the beginning of our spiritual life. Which leads to this. So second question is, so what is filling of the Holy Spirit? So all believers have the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, I think Scripture more describes it than defines it. And I think it honestly describes it in many ways that would fit how many of us would define our own experience. That many of us would even feel like, boy, I, I remember a time after I was saved that it felt like God filled me in a new way or just He, he did something in, in, my, in my life in, in a new way. I, and I remember a day very vividly when I was 21 years old and God, and I, God filled me with His Spirit, and it just led to a passion and a burden for the lost, I mean, I, just the, the lost that lived with me on campus. Like, I just, it almost overwhelmed me, just this, this, this just, I, I have to preach the gospel. I have to just, I have to go, and I have to be, an, you know, I just have to tell people about Jesus. It was just, I remember the moment, and just remember how it just, it was, it was, it was just consuming. So, the to be filled with the, the Spirit, it, it leads to, to increased passion and holiness and relationships and worship and conviction and zeal and sobriety and power for ministry. Often new gifts come when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes gifts like speaking in tongues, which we'll talk about later in the series. But, but, but how, how does this work, right? Because if we're baptized in the Spirit at conversion and... The Spirit of God never leaves us, right? It's not like, well, okay, uh, I sinned, so then the Spirit left, but when, if I get holy again, He's going to come back because, right, He's just never going to come back at that case, right? So, so how can we be filled when we already have the Spirit? I think a helpful analogy that I heard 
is, is to kind of view it like almost like a balloon. And if you think of a balloon, right, you can have kind of balloons that are def- mostly deflated and balloons that are very big, right? But to think of it like a balloon, but a balloon only always has air in it, right? That, that's all the balloon has in it is, is air. But there's times where you can, even though it's already filled with air, you can give the balloon more air and it can expand and it can get bigger. And so even though it's full of air, you can give it, it can be more full of air and you can give it more. And, 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 and so you just, so the sense of, even though we already, we, we are already have the spirit, God can, he can increase our capacity to receive more of himself and, and give, a, give us more of himself in a particular way, in a particular moment. That, that he can fill us with, with more of his presence, with more of his power and, and, sort, of, and sort of increase our capacity and, and, and it can be expanded. Wayne Grudem writes, it seems appropriate to understand the filling of the Holy Spirit, not as a one-time event, but as an event that it can occur over and over again in a Christian's life. It may involve a momentary empowering for a specific ministry, but it may also refer to a long-term characteristic of a person's life. So in a sense, this filling of the Holy Spirit is just Him filling us with more of His presence in a particular way. Okay, so next question I want to ask is, well, why be filled with the Holy Spirit? Where to begin? Okay, so most basic, Paul tells us to in Ephesians, right? This is, this is not a recommendation he's making for sort of, for, for people. He, he is commanding it, no, be filled with the Spirit. Just to mention, we see several places in, in, in Acts where the apostles were filled with the Spirit. In a passage we read in our series in Acts, before Jesus entered the temptation in the wilderness, it notes he was full of the Holy Spirit. Just to note the obvious, if they needed to rely on the Spirit, if they needed to be filled with the Spirit, how much more do we need to be filled with the Spirit? How much do we just need to recognize? Filling myself with more of me and my thoughts and my wisdom and my governance over my own life, it's just not going to go well. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. So why be filled? Be- because of what the Spirit brings. Here's what the Spirit of God brings. He brings passion for God, passion for the lost, passion for holiness. He brings boldness and clarity and humility. Just to recognize we live in a world where Satan and this world try to v- compete against us. My, my own pride, my own sin, vie for, for supremacy. All these things obscure Christ from my view, but the Spirit brings vision of Him, and when we get vision of Christ, we, 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 bring, he, we, we are brought faith and power and perspective. It is God's manifest presence in our lives. It, the Spirit of God is what turns scared, denying disciples into people who would rather be stoned than deny Him again. It's what gives people whose, whose hearts can feel so cold and distant at times a desire to grow and to burn hot. It's what gives people who often feel so alone, whether they feel alone in a jail cell or a classroom or just without a close friend that really gets them a, present and a, a presence and a comfort that is too deep for words. At Tuesday, I, was, I had lunch with a, a Chinese brother who, uh, actually he's going to be preaching here in two weeks from, from the book of Luke and he's, he's planning a uh, a Sovereign Grace Church, a, a, Chinese, a Chinese-speaking Sovereign Grace Church in the DMV. And, and, at, and, and actually, after the message in two weeks, we're going to kind of have, I don't call it a family meeting, but we're going to stick around if you're able. So he's, he's going to share some, just some updates on what's happening in the church in China and just, just us for be able to pray for them as a church. And the church there just faces immense persecution. But we were, we were at lunch, and... 
I think we both at one point just were sitting unexpectedly, both of us with tears in our eyes as he's sharing about brothers and sisters in China and just who face enormous persecution and who, who meet in public. And for them to meet in public means they face arrests whenever they do. And yet every Lord's Day, they gather together. And then many of them go off to jail. And yet they gather, yet they proclaim. Because what the Spirit of God does is He gives boldness. And He gives a desire to obey. And He gives a desire to proclaim Christ. It it helps us to fear Christ even more than we fear government brutality. So so why be filled with the Spirit? Because because what He brings is always good. And He he only brings what we need, which is more of Him. Why be filled? Listen, if you have been filled with Spirit, if you can remember this, I've been been filled with the Holy Spirit, I just know how good it is, then you don't need me to answer that. I just want to be filled again because I know how good it is. But if if you have this sense of, boy, I'm not really desirous of more God in my life. I just note, I think that the New Testament has... I think we see two categories for, for people who, who do not want more of God in their lives. I think there's a category of people, they don't want more God in their lives because they don't know Him, because they have rejected God and never turned from their, from their sins to trust in God, so they don't know Him. And I think there are those who don't want more God in their life. And, 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 and just to say, I think it's, it's a sign not of health. Well, I don't need more God. I think it's a sign of, of real danger if we're just saying, nope, I've got, I've got enough. Listen, I, I think... There's a medical condition where, where, where one can be so dehydrated that by the end of their dehydration, they're not even thirsty anymore because their body just sort of goes into this shutdown mode. Of, that's how they're so dehydrated that they, they lost their thirst. If you don't have a thirst for more God, this should just be this red flag going off. Of, oh, that's, that's not a sign of hell. I guess I'm, I guess I'm good. It should be a sign of, wait, something's wrong how much I need more of God in my life. So, fourth question then is this, so how are we filled with the Spirit? Again, Scripture doesn't give a formula. It gives more of a description than than sort of a formula of what to do. Like if I said, right, I'm going to go fill my car with gasoline, right, I, I could tell you how to do that, right? I could drive to the gas station, I could undo the cap, I, you know, you know, put the nozzle in, I could be offended at how much it costs to fill a car with gasoline, right? But I, I would know how to do that. But it's not the way, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. All right, like, let's go to the dispenser. Okay, got it. Let's go back now. That's not the way it works. God's not sort of like a slot machine. All right, I'm going to put in a quarter and get out a prize and got some more spirit. Let's go. It's not just, hey, say a quick prayer, get the spirit. That's, that's not what it works. So what does it look like? And in some ways, again, this is, this is the analogy that, that I, I found helpful for me because, again, it, it more describes it than prescribes it, but I think the analogy I would use is suppose I come home from the gym one day, right? And as you can tell, that's basically my second home, guys. That's, you know, obvious. But if I come home from the gym one day and you know, I'm stinky and I'm sweaty and, you know, and I'm, you know, hey, we're getting dinner with so-and-so, so, you know, go, go ahead and get cleaned up. I just, just to know, like, I can't clean myself up, right? What's it mean to get cleaned up? Like, I can change my clothes, but I'm not any cleaner. I can act like I'm 13 again and spray Axe body spray all over me, but that's not really going to clean myself up. 
What's it mean to to get clean? Well, it means I got to get in the shower and stand under the cleansing power of the water, but just recognize it's the power that's cleansing me. So what it means is I just need to get in position to receive. It means I need to get in position to let something else cleanse me and do the work on my life. And so in some ways, what does it mean to be filled? How am I filled with the Spirit? Well, in some ways, I think it means we get in position to receive from God God himself. The scripture again doesn't list all that it means to get into position, but I think we see this pattern and just through, through saints through the ages, and I think we see this pattern in scripture where we see it's those who recognize their need of the spirit. It's those who come in humility that desperate for the spirit. It's those who come in faith of the spirit. It's those who come in expectation, like what we read about from Luke last week, that ask, oh, and he delights to give who wait expectantly for the Lord to give. For the, we wait expectantly for more of the Lord in our life, knowing the Lord is eager to give of himself to his people. I think being filled in the Spirit, in some sense, it, 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 it's something that takes place in an instant. But I think the pattern is more is given to those who take more time and priority to receive. That this isn't just, all right, said a quick prayer, read my two verses for the day. This is a humble, expectant, needy faith going to receive, desperate to receive, and going again and going again and going again to receive more of God in our lives. And in a sense, unless I step in that shower, I'm not clean. But when I step in, how it, how it cleanses me, this is me going before the Lord and just saying, unless I go to the Lord, unless I ask of the Lord, I cannot receive the Spirit. But when I do and when I ask, oh, how He delights to give of His Spirit to His people. Now it seems that we receive it and receive Him in various measures and various times, but we only and always receive with amazing measure and amazing generosity. So fifth question I want to ask is simply this, well, what, what now? Joel 2 says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Ezekiel says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jeremiah foretold where he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This age has been promised to God's people for generations. The age of the Spirit is here and it's now. Brothers and sisters, it is what a blessing and privilege it is to live in this age of redemptive history. The age of the Spirit, the, the age where God pours out His Spirit on all flesh. The age where we are not controlled by the law. We're not controlled by trying to, trying to externally conform to, to something that we can never live up to, but where he pours out his spirit freely on his people. 
So I think what's now is we, are the, we want to be those who are positioned to receive. We want to be, we want approach him in confidence and faith and boldness and humility and, and, and gratitude and desperation and expectancy that he will pour out his spirit on his people. We want to be those who are empowered for a mission so much bigger than us to proclaim a God who is so much greater than us. So I think what's next in our lives, where, wherever you're at, whatever your history is, is this, we go and we seek and we knock and we ask and we watch him pour out his spirit and we receive him with gratitude and humility and faith in greater and greater measures in our life. I'm not sure, just even for, as you think about your life, even as you think about your week ahead, sort of what's, what's on your radar, what's sort of on your mental, just things you're thinking about. Here's what I just know, but we, we all so desperately need the Lord. I'm going to share one thing that's just in my life for this coming week. Next Sunday, obviously, is Easter, and I have the unbelievable privilege of proclaiming the greatest event in human history, Jesus Christ rising from the grave, I have the privilege of telling God's people again what he has done for them. And I believe there's going to be people here next Sunday who don't know Jesus. And I have the privilege of telling them the good news of Jesus Christ who conquered the grave, who conquered human history, and who is coming back soon. And let me just add, let me just add this. If, if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ personally, we're, we're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, here, here's the, the, the Holy Spirit is, is an expression and just an unmistakable, deep expression of, of, of God's love for his people and his kindness and his generosity to his people because, because Jesus Christ not only forgives us of our sins, so right, all of us are born sinners, all of us have a great enemy that we cannot overcome in, in sin, and sin leads to death, sin leads to shame, sin leads to us deserving hell, but not only does Jesus Christ come and take the punishment we deserve, but what he does, and he not only, through, because of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven, but in God's generosity, he doesn't just forgive us of, his, of our sin, and they us, okay, now go walk differently. He doesn't just forgive us and say, okay, now, no go, now go be different. But he, he doesn't leave us alone. But he not only forgives us, he stays with us. He empowers us. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new affections. He gives us new wills. He gives us the, the obeys we're called to command in newness of life. He empowers us to do them. He gives us his very presence each and every day of our life. So it's not just that we're forgiven by God. We are empowered by God to live every single day of our Christian lives. And I would just say, if you do not know Jesus Christ, I would, it would be a great privilege to talk with you more about him. I know if, if you know somebody here, they would love to talk with you more about Jesus Christ and the life that he offers you right now. And it's not because of what you have done, but it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But, but here's the deal. Next week, I get to proclaim that message again of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. I get to proclaim the one message of how God's people are sanctified. I get to proclaim the, the, the news of how new disciples are made and added to the church. It's, it's, through, it's through Jesus Christ being seen clearly in, in this book, in his word. So here's what I need. I need the Spirit of God to give me clarity and boldness and faith as I proclaim. We need Him as we gather together as His people. We all need more of the fullness of God in our lives. 
whether you're proclaiming him to a congregation, whether you're proclaiming him to a classmate, whether you're proclaiming him to small children who are growing up in your home, or whether you're proclaiming Jesus Christ to your own heart and often wandering mind and heart that is so quick to stray, and you just need to proclaim Jesus to yourself. We all need more of the power and the presence of God in our lives. And I believe it would please the Lord if right now some of us asked for that, asked to be filled. If, if some of us asked in faith together to be filled with God's Spirit. Now, I want to be clear. No one in this room is the Spirit of God. No one in this room can, can fill you with the Spirit of God. There, there's, there's not like some secret code that anyone in this room has that we can unlock. Oh, here, here, here's, here's how you do it. But, but we can go together in faith. We can pray together in faith to a God who is eager to give of himself to his people, a God who is generous. There are people in this room, if you've, if you've never prayed this prayer, to be filled with the Spirit. I, I just encourage you to, even right now, I'm going I'm to pray in just a moment, but just to find a brother or sister. Say, would you, would you pray with me? I, I, I need him more in my life. I, I, I want you to pray with me that, that I would receive more of his power, more of his presence. I would be more aware of him. I think it would please the Lord to, to, to go, not just by yourself in your seat, but, but to find someone to pray with you, to pray expectantly that God loves to pour out his presence on his people. So I'm going to take some time. I'm going to pray to close us. And a few little while, CP's going to lead us again in singing. But I would encourage you just to take with no hurry. It's not a program. This isn't, we're not trying to muster up emotionalism, but just to take unhurried time to pray, to find a brother or sister to pray with them that God would pour out more of his spirit in our lives and in our midst. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. You did not leave us alone. You did not leave us as we deserved in our rebellion and our sin. But Lord, you have given your people your spirit to guide them, to live in them, to encourage them, to empower them. Lord, we face an enemy greater than we can, greater than we can defeat. We face a mission bigger than we are able to accomplish. We face sin bigger than we can conquer. But Lord, Jesus Christ is the victorious one. Jesus Christ is the one who conquers sin, who conquers Satan. Jesus Christ is the one who is on his saving mission. And now you have, in your mission, not just saved your people, but you have given yourself freely to your people so that we can walk in newness of life and newness of power, so that we can walk victorious over sin, so that we can walk with purpose and with a mission, with hearts not cold of stone, but hearts 
desirous to see you more at work. And so, Lord, I pray that you would pour out more of your spirit in our lives. Lord, I, I pray for anyone here who is just for whatever reason, whatever history, whatever sort of something that stands in the way, would just be tentative to pray, would be hesitant to pray, that sees this as good, but maybe sees it for someone else. Lord, would you give them faith to pray boldly for more of the Spirit? So now in this time, I pray that you would give your people fresh faith to ask, to receive, and that, Lord, the results would be unmistakable. That the results wouldn't just be ah, a, a little more a little more of something, but Lord, we, it would be unmistakable. Oh, the power of God is at work in our lives. So Lord, now we ask that your people would have faith to ask of you what you are delighted to give. More of you in our lives.